this week on The Startup Life. I talk about 90% in the book. Like, you know, you always say, oh, you got to give it 110%. You got to give right. it, you know. And if you do that for a long period of time, you're going to burn out, burn out quick. All right, Startup Nation. So let's take flight with Kim Foster Carlson, author of Good Enough, How to Overcome Fear of Failure and Perfectionism to Live Your Best Life. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own look, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We have a special guest in the building today. We have Kim Foster Carlson, uh, who's an author, and she's going to tell us all about her book. How you doing today, Kim? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's pr- nice weather here in California. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. It's a little cold here in Memphis, so I envy you look just a little bit. So are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? I sure am. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. So this is the uh, this is Dominic Lawson with the Startup Life Podcast brought to you by the Binge Podcast Network. So, Kim, if you would tell us your story about your amazing career in broadcast journalism. Well, I started out actually as a sportscaster. That's what I wanted to do. And that was back in the 80s when there weren't that many women doing sports. Gotcha. And uh, gotcha. they would say, I'd come in and be like, and the, new, the, the boss would be like, is that woman doing sports again? And I'm like, okay, I know my stuff, you know. And I had one news director who said to me, you know, you're a woman. People are going to listen to you much closer so you cannot make a mistake. And I was like, uh-oh, not at all, you know. So then you sort of get that in your head. Okay, I can't make a mistake. I can't make a mistake. And you start making mistakes, you know, not really ones that anyone would notice, but I would notice. Uh, so it sort of started that whole fear of failure and perfectionism uh, thing going. And uh, then I got into news because there were so many more news jobs than sports jobs. You know, you'd have two sportscasters, but there'd be 10 reporters. So I started to get into the news side of things, um, a very, you know, competitive, uh, cutthroat business as well and uh and it sort of feared that whole you know fear of failure and perfectionism because in journalism you have to be completely accurate impartial you know that whole thing right um i was a swimmer i was an athlete uh went to florida state and swam there um and i think you start that type a personality and then it's sort of you know which is a good thing and then you get into that oh but I can't make a mistake, fear of failure. And then you start sort of not trying anything. It's like, oh, I'm not gonna try that. I might I might fail at that. So it's sort right. of, you know, and I saw that in my kids. I, my kids are competitive swimmers, highly successful. And I started seeing the same thing. So I actually wrote the book for them so okay. they could overcome their, their fear of failure. But yeah, no, I've been in broadcasting for 30 years, covered 
fires, floods, earthquakes, Super Bowls. And uh, I went to game five of the NBA finals a couple years ago and covered that for the Warriors, my team. (laughs) For sure, for sure. So uh, it's been a great career. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Quick follow up if I could, because you talk about, you know, uh, the role of women's sports journalists and stuff like that. So when you see Aaron Andrews and Leslie Visser and Hannah Storm, where do you think we are in the state of women journalism and particularly uh, covering sports? I think it's much, much better. I mean, you turn on uh, ESPN and there's always a female anchor. You know, there's sometimes they're only the females are only on the sidelines. Um, Doris Burke, who's my hero, she does uh, NBA play by play. She's awesome. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, so it's come a long way from when I started, where there weren't any women around. Um, there's still, you know, you, you just don't want the token woman because there's a woman there. You want a, a competent woman doing sports. But you know, to me, it's a beat. It's sort of like, okay, I have. You know, it's my beat is sports. I got to know everything there is to know about sports. My beat is education. You know, it's sort of you're being a journalist, but I think it doesn't matter if male or female. You know, if you know your stuff, you know your stuff. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. So, you know, you've like I said, you've had an amazing career. You've achieved many accomplishments, including the National Moral Award for your coverage of the Oikos uh, University shooting. If you would. Take us back to that day and explain your thought process as you cover that story. I guess I'm interested in how you cover the story thoroughly, but at the same time, you show respect to the victims and the victims' families. Oh, my gosh. that's That day was a day I'll never forget because mm-hmm. I was on the air by myself doing the oh, new wow. news. And all of a sudden, we got you know shots fired, uh, diverted the two reporters to Oakland, and started covering that story. And this man had gone into this vocational school and shot nine people and then took off and he's on the loose in Oakland. Wow. So we were able to get a witness on the phone who was right there as it was happening. And so my job was to keep that guy calm and to get information out of him. So I, I kept saying, now, what do you see? what do you see when you first got there? What do you see now? Do you see anybody out? You know, it's, I kept trying to keep them, you know, explaining everything and, and trying to stay calm. And um, in the face of this just horrific thing that was going on, and then they were able to catch the shooter uh, a couple miles away, a few hours later, um, we entered it, you know, thinking, oh, it's, it was a breaking news story. And it ended up resonating with a lot of um, the judges, because they said that the anchor kept calm under extreme pressure, of interviewing, you know, eyewitnesses. And uh, that's what I tried to do. And then I got off the air and I was like, okay, we just, what, what happened? And, you know, I had to debrief myself because you're just in the moment. Absolutely. Staying in the moment, going, you know, from here to the Oakland PD press conference, back to the live reporters, you know, it's just, it was, it was a hard story to do, but we, you know, we had to do it and we hopefully, by describing the suspect and everything helped, you know, ended up people, somebody saw him at a grocery store and called 911. So, but that's what the National Borough judges had said that I had stayed calm under pressure. So I guess, I guess I did at the time. I didn't feel like it at the time, but I guess I did. 
Right. Because I, I, I was quite fascinated by that, you know, and when, and when other journalists do that as well, because like you said, like to be able to stay in the moment and stay calm under pressure and to kind of have that balancing view, that's, that, you know, it's quite the balancing act, to, you know, not to repeat myself, but, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. So I appreciate you sharing that for sure, Kim. I really do. Well, and that's part of the reason I wrote the book is, is I stayed in the moment. I didn't think of anything else. You right. know, I, I tried to remain, you know, who are my listeners and what were they hearing? And I didn't want to just, you know, freak out and every, there's a gun, you know, a gunman on the loose, so to speak. Exactly. You, know, you have to kind of stay calm, stay in the moment. And that's basically how I overcame fear of failure and perfectionism was to, to live, stay in the moment and then I often I often talk in the book about my favorite player, Steph Curry, who plays for the Warriors, and he plays with joy. You know, you play with joy. You know, in that moment, I was not in, in joy because of the seriousness of the story. But sure. in other things in life, um, you know, you see Steph Curry on the court, and he loves loves the game. You know, he's not afraid to fail. His coaches said we saw early on he would miss five three three pointers. And then he would not lose any confidence that he would get the next five. Right. Right. And so, you know, what? at that point, let's go ahead and dive into the book, because and the reason I wanted to ask that question, because when you talk about, you know, covering stories like that and others, you know, the, the, a person's process and attention to detail is very important, especially when you're writing a book. And so, you know, the name of your book is good enough. How to overcome fear of failure and perfectionism to live your best life and Startup Nation. You can purchase that book on Kim's website, kimfostercarlson.com. And we have a link in the show notes for easy access for you to uh, access that link and purchase that book. So, you know, you talked about, you know, what inspired you to write the book and things of that nature was, you know, was it a thing where like there was a key moment to like, I have to write this book or was it something that just kind of slowly built over time? It all of a sudden just came on like a, Firestorm. I don't know. All of a sudden, I was like, I got to sit down and write. I'd sit okay. in my backyard with my laptop and I'd uh, research some things, you know. And I and it was really for my my daughters because my daughters are both were both Division One athletes, swimmers. Uh, my youngest, my oldest daughter, uh, went to the World Championships in swimming and won a bronze medal. Nice. And I could sort of see that same thing. I could see it again. I was like. Oh no, here this this is coming again for these kids. And I've sort of overcome it. I want to help them. So I basically thought, oh, I'll just give it to everybody for Christmas. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that'd be like a, a fun little book. And um the pub I sent it to the publisher. The publisher loved it. They started printing it. And then, you know, they told two friends and so on and so on. You know, so it sort of came there. But it was really they were the audience, you know, they're millennials, they're starting out in their careers. Everything's, you know, scary. Oh, I don't want to try that. I'm not, I'm not going to try that. I'm going to fail at that. And you, I'm like, you got to fail. You, you got to fail. You got to fail often. You get, you you know, when you win, you learn. When you lose, you learn. And yet, sometimes mm. you learn more from when you lose or when you have a fail, a failed business or a failed event happen in your life. That gives you more information to help you succeed in the future. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. You almost sound like the Alanis Morissette song. When you fail, you learn. When you win, you learn. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, for sure. So you shared a little bit about the process of writing a book. You know, if you would, how did you like prepare for the book? Did you get an outline or whatever the case may be? Be as transparent as possible, because we have a lot of people in Startup Nation who want to write books. And so they're not really sure how to start. So if you could share that with us. That would be very helpful. Oh, yeah. I started with um, 
chapter titles. And I don't know if you've seen the chapter titles. They're kind yes. of kind of funny, kind of funky. Right. right. <laughs> you know, and then I sort of, uh, you know, like one of them is if you're not first, you're last, you know, like yeah, the Ricky Bobby Bobby quote. Yeah. Because my daughter got third at the world championship. She had never been so happy to get third in her life. That's what she told me because she, you know, she, and and it is, it's true in the Olympics. You know, if you, if you get the bronze, you win. And if you get fourth, you lose, so to speak. So I tried to uh, uh, have personal stories, quite a few personal stories. um, And, you know, it's, the small stuff, the 24 hour cleanse, here comes the judge. So that sort of was a tea, you know, in radio, we call it a tease, so to speak. Gotcha. And, um, and that, that helped me. Okay. I'm in this chapter. I'm going to talk about this one thing. And my chapters are like three or four pages. I start with a personal th- thing. Then I sort of go into some research behind it and, um, and sort of get a message at the end of it. So it, it was very similar to writing a radio story. So okay. you start in with the, the main topic, but uh, the outline of the chapters really helped me. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. I hope you got that started. Nation. For those of you who are, are, you know, thinking about writing that first book, you know, make sure you kind of give that outline, have that outline uh, before you get to writing and stuff like that, for sure. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that, Kim, for sure, for sure. So, you know, in the book, you talk about your mom, who was very super loving and this, that, and the other, but she was also very strict. Tell us a little bit about her. Oh, my gosh. She was a British nanny who came to the United States with a family okay. of four boys, a lawyer in Boston. And she was just going to work there for a bit. Then she was on her way to Australia, and she met my dad, who was an Air Force pilot. And uh, the rest is history. But uh, she sort of, you know, very British, raised us very, you know, strict. Children shall be seen and not heard, you know, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. Um, and my friends were all, you know, not hooligans, but they were <laughs> raised a little bit like, woohoo, you know, gotcha. it was the 70s. Um, and uh, we were always like, God, she's so mean, you know. Now we realize that she was, you know, trying to set us up for success later on. Um, but she, you know, we'd come home with six A's and a B plus and she'd, be, she'd look at the, the report card and go, why wasn't that B plus an A? And you're like, oh. you know, yeah. so she sort of set that perfectionism going to, okay, if I'm not really good enough for my mom, unless I get all A's. And so then sometimes you sort of give up. You're like, okay, I'm not going to try if I can't be perfect or I'm not going to, you know, it's like starting a business. I'm not going to you know, I don't, I'm going to give up before because it's not going to be, you know, a $10 million business, but you can start out with a hundred thousand dollar business and, and then move up from there. And I didn't realize that I thought it was, it sort of got that all or nothing gotcha. view of life. Uh, but she, yeah, she, and you know, she raised us very British. So we were always taught formal, you know, things, which I think now, I'm grateful for, but uh, back then as a teenager, oh boy, not too fun. For sure. <laughs> for sure. We definitely, we definitely, as we get older, look back and start to appreciate the things our parents do for us. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Now you, you talked about this earlier, you know, you live in the Bay area uh, and uh, you know, so obviously you're a huge Golden State Warriors fan. Cause you mentioned Steph Curry in the book mm-hmm. and you know, uh, you, you talk about you know, the confidence and the joy that his, that he has. And you talk in the book about how his college coach talked about that. And I, I actually watched that, uh, that NCAA tournament run that he was on and he was amazing. Like he was absolutely amazing. He was probably, that's probably by far 
the best tournament performance I've seen in, in all the time I've watched like the NCAA tournament for sure. Oh, yeah, from this uh, little school called Davidson. Absolutely. You know, in, in North Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I know that because here in Memphis, we went to the championship game and lost to Kansas. We were kind of hoping Davidson kind of took Kansas <laughs> out. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But but anyway, I, I want to ask, you know, like, where do you think that confidence comes from? Right. Is it like just the, the sure joy of playing the game? Is it because his dad, you know, who played the NBA, Dale Curry, you know, took him around to NBA you know, arenas as a kid. So he's not like big, you know, afraid of the big stage. Like, where does that come from? You think they always said if you've seen some of the interviews, it comes from the, his mom. Okay. That his mom, you know, Dell's play is playing basketball. He's not, you know, around as much, although he does take Steph to a lot of shoot arounds and stuff before the games. But they said that, that, that Sandra, I think that's her name. She was strict, very, very strict. Okay. That they weren't allowed to watch TV, that they had to do all their homework, you know, that they, uh, and he talks about his mom. She was a division one, I think volleyball player. Okay. Um, You know, and then, they, the coach at Davidson talked about that this kid comes in and he has no fear of failure. Like he has confidence, but not too much, you know, he's not overconfident, but he, he really plays with joy, stays in the moment and, uh, and tries to get the best of his player. Not, uh, not selfish, which is, you know, a little bit rare in the NBA. Right. <laughs> As right. we're seeing with the Los Angeles Lakers now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, fired. but uh yeah and he you know and he's a good person he's a very charitable person um he lived in our town before he moved to a gated community but and and he go to the grocery store this is like you know this is after they've won an nba championship and he's at the grocery store hanging out he goes to movies you know and then there's like starts crowds of people following him everywhere now you know um but he he's sort of unassuming, like, I'm, you know, and he's six foot two. There's a great story that was just written recently about him, how he was written off so many times. Mm-hmm. No college, colleges wanted him. He's too small. He's too tiny. He's, he's erratic. He shoots weight. You know, he, he tries to weigh too many threes. Um, you know, the Golden State Warriors did pick him in the first round right. and it took a while. He was hurt all the time. The first couple right. of years, he had ankle problems. So it's like he overcame fear of failure. You know, he he just kept on going and look at him now. I mean, and I think that's why he he respects the game. He plays with joy. He he boosts his teammates. I mean, uh, look at Boogie Cousins has come in and Boogie Cousins was sort of the pariah of the NBA. Nobody wanted to play with him. Right. And he's doing great playing with the the Warriors. So and uh, Steve Kerr, the coach, a lot of it that comes from him and he played with Phil Jackson, you know, the Zen master and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But uh, it, it's, you know, you could build a corporation and a mindset off of what the Golden State Warriors are doing. You absolutely could. You absolutely could. And I, I've actually seen Steph Curry's display of uh, of confidence and joy, you know, firsthand. He was actually, uh, when they played, came to Memphis a few years back. And this was back when Monta Ellis was still on the team. So this has been a while, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, there was in shoot around and the ball was going out of bounds, right? And he was trying to catch it, you know, and it's behind the, uh, <laughs> the backboard that he, you know, that he was, you know, shooting around it. 
So he, he he gets it. He's like falling out of bounds. He throws it up, and I swear it switched. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness. Like, are you serious right now? Like, oh, yeah, we see what kind of night we're going to be in. And we lost my 20. So, <laughs> so clearly I know exactly what you're talking about as far as his confidence. But thank you for sharing it. I appreciate that for sure. Um, yeah, we always talk about – you know, uh, when Michael Jordan was playing, you want to you want to be like Mike or play right. like Mike. We here, it's all about Steph. For be sure. like Steph, play like Steph. I don't think he's bought a dinner in probably five years here in the, in the <laughs> Bay Area. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha for sure. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, in your book, you you, you say something that I thought was quite quite profound. You, you say that you you know, you shouldn't confuse perfection with high standards. Break that down for us a little bit for Startup Nation, if you would. Oh, yeah. I mean, I talk about 90% in the book. Like, you know, you always say, oh, you got to give it 110%. You got to give right. it, you know, and if you do that for a long period of time, you're going to burn out, burn out quick. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a thing in swimming called threshold where you try to go as long as you can at a pace that you can keep. And so that's about 90%. And you can go a lot further on 90%. So it's sort of like, oh, good. That's good enough for the day. But that doesn't mean that you sit on the couch and do nothing and go, oh, that was good enough for the day. I'm out. You know, I mean, it doesn't give you the permission to be lazy or to not try or to not try your best. Um, But it's sort of keeping you going for the long run, especially when you're, you know, especially if you're starting up a business or even going on book tours or anything like that, you know, you could get so into it. I'm going 110 percent, but then you're going to burn out. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that, because I, I thought that quote was fascinating, and, you know, and I wanted to get some clarification on it for sure. So I appreciate that. So, you know, you often talk as well that perfectionists are also procrastinators. How is that? That seems kind of weird to me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, because you're like, I don't know. That, that, that sounds like it's a lot to go to the gym today and work out. I think I'll just like sit at home. You know, it's sort of you you sort of it's that all or nothing thinking. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, and if you're like thinking, I don't think I'm going to do this very well. I'm not, I'm not going to try. So you put it off. Gotcha. And I've noticed that I started to do that as well. And it's, and you almost have to do, they talk about this. Uh, I talk about this in the book is there's this college that these kids come into at Smith college and it's uh, you know, Ivy league school and all the kids were coming in afraid to fail. You know, they'd all got, they've gotten 4.0s straight A's all through high school. They come into college, they get a B, they got, I'm out. I'm sorry. I'm done. The college isn't for me. And on the, you know, these, the college admissions counselors, like what's going on here. So they really saw a fear of failure. So they make every college freshman take a failure course Mm. and you have to fail at something. Right. You have to try something, you know, you're not good at, and you know, you're going to fail, you know, um, like I talk about, I swim, I can, I'm on in the water. I am graceful. I am, you know, I look good in the water. I'm, I'm fast. I get out of the water, anything out of the water, running, basketball. I can play a little bit of volleyball. I'm six foot two, but gotcha. um, I am just a, like a fish out of water, but I'm like, no, I'm going to try this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try ice skating and I'm going to fall hard, but I'm going to get up and keep going, you know? So mm-hmm. I think, uh, you have to get over that procrastination, which can really ruin your life, you know, is to say, okay, I'm going to stay in the moment. I'm going to try this. And if I fail, I'll learn and I'll move on to something else. And I think you look at 
Steve Jobs, he had like four or five uh, versions of the iPhone that were horrible, you know, before mm, he got right. the one that, you know, changed the world. If he would have given up, we wouldn't have the iPhone, you know. So it's almost like you have to get past that procrastination to know it's going to rear its ugly head and to uh, to not be afraid of it. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, I, um, I have a lot of friends who are, are perfectionists. So when I, when I read your book, I, I thought of them often. And it got me to thinking because there's a lot of times where I kind of see them in one of their perfectionist moments. And I myself try to let them off the hook, right? right. And so I, I wonder if, you know, you know, after reading your book, I'm wondering, like, am I helping them or am I standing in the way of their growth? What do you think? Well, uh, can you give me an example? Like maybe what? So like, like I, I like I said, I do a lot of volunteering work uh, in some nonprofits that are here in the city. And so uh, there are times where they're asked for volunteers to do uh, things within the nonprofit. And so I'll see a lot of, you know, I'll volunteer for some stuff. And then there's other people who will volunteer for stuff. And then we still need more volunteers. And then I'll see my friends try to volunteer more to make up for everybody else's thing. Right. And, and so I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like they'll, they'll try to, because they want to be seen as always the person who they can go to for help. Right. So they'll right. volunteer for more things. So that, I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I could see that you, you have to also have personal accountability, you know, that you're, you're trying your best and you're doing the best that you can each day. I mean, we're so over, scheduled and oh, everything these days with right. you know the internet 24 7 and oh how this looks you know it's like oh I want to I want to be out here I want I, this is an Instagram moment you know I want to look good for everybody else out there where it, it's almost inside of you it has to be this this altruistic okay I'm here I'm I'm in the moment I'm gonna enjoy where I am and sort of and not be like okay I got to get the next thing and the next, the next carrot, the next, you know, I have right. to overschedule myself to look good, you know, and that's when you're going to burn out. That's that 90% that you're not, you know, that you're, and you have to um, really believe what you're doing is helping, helping you and helping others and not just yeah. that Instagram moment, like, Ooh, I'm going to get pictures and I'm going to look good, you know? Right. Right. And, and I'm glad you, you pointed that out because like I said, I'm like sitting there, like seeing them take on more work. And I was like, you don't have to do that. Like force them to do it. It's like, no, nah, but I don't want them to see them like I, they can't count on me. Like they already know they can count on you <laughs> because you've, you're already here volunteering. So, so I, that's why I wanted to ask you that. So I appreciate that for sure. Tell them about the 90% rule. I will. I will. I definitely will. Make sure you you catch that starter nation because some of some of those people listen to the show as well. And just want to remind you once again, if you want to purchase the book, uh, just want to go ahead and repeat it really quickly. Good enough. How to overcome fear of failure and perfectionism to live your best life. You can get that book on uh, Kim's website, KimFosterCarlson.com. And the uh, link is in the show notes for easy access. My last question before we go to break, Kim. Um, now you have a, a hall of fame career in journalism, if I may say so myself, you know, 30 years, like you said, many accomplishments, amazing career. Right. And so when I think about you and I think about other very accomplished women, 
you know, uh, they sometimes don't get the the accolades like their male counterparts, right? Uh, Politics aside, I think about back to 2016 when former President Obama said that Hillary Clinton, in his opinion, was the most qualified person to run for president. First lady, secretary of state, U.S. senator. And it's it's quite an accomplished, you know, resume. And then we have women, we think about women like Michelle Obama, who talks about the infamous imposter syndrome, right? And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when we talk about those things and we, you know, and we, you know, engage in those conversations, it, it gets me to being curious, like, how does this happen? Especially when we talk about women, how, do, where does that come from? Is it my fault? Is, is it something else? Like, where does that come from? You think? It's all your fault. No, I'm just kidding. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll, I'll take, I'll take responsibility. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm going to cough here. No worries. No, I mean, as you've seen, I mean, I hate to bring it up, but the Me Too movement that a lot of no, please uh, bring it up. Absolutely, a lot of this stuff has happened in media. You know, I mean, from Charlie Rose to Les Moonves. It, you know, traditionally media has been sort of this good old boys network. You know, and um, where women weren't treated as well because almost like uh, being an actor and actress. Oh, they really want to do this. You know, I can men in power can take advantage of that. You know, uh, Harvey Weinstein is an example of that as well. So I think the business model is changing in terms of that and in terms of speaking up. But women didn't speak up because that's not what you did. You know, I got a lot of flack for being in sports as uh, as a woman, you know, when there weren't many women doing it. And they'd say, oh, you're just a sports fan. I'm like, no, I know. My, I know my stuff and absolutely, and then, you know, and, and even uh, a few years ago, I had a news director that said that to me, he goes, wow, he goes, wow. You're just, you know, you're a sports fan. I go, no, I'm not. I know, you know, I've been involved in sports journalism for 30 years, you know, oh, wait a minute. You mean to tell me like after, like, cause you said it just a few years ago yeah. by this time you have 20 plus years in the game and people are still saying this. Yeah. That's yeah. Me. So it's a very traditional male um, dominated uh, roles. And I'm sure, I'm sure politics is the same way, you know, so, but I think that, you know, uh, the Me Too movement is changing all that and women are speaking up, um, now in greater numbers. And, you know, it's so funny because my daughters are millennials. My daughter, my older daughter works for the Raiders. She's one of the only women in the social, she's a social media coordinator for the Raiders. Okay. And, um, her experience is so different. She was, you know, they're, she's just part of the team, you know, they're not, and there's, she hasn't had any problems with me too, anything, you know, and this is the, the NFL, but the NFL is making a conscious effort to hire women. They have a woman's sport, a women head trainer. So their head strength and conditioning coach is a woman for the Raiders. Um, There's women in um, management at, at the NFL. So the NFL is really taking, um, you know, steps to, to include because half of all football fans are women. So I think my, the next generation will not see this. Okay. Hopefully. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you so much. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How you like being on the startup life so far, Kim? I love it. You're great. You're asking very good questions. Thank you so much. All right, startup nation. So I hope you're getting great value from Kim's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it's powered by the Binge Podcast Network.
Hey business owner, the startup life reach is growing. Wouldn't you like your business to grow with it? Reach out to us to advertise on the startup life. You can reach us at 901-857-4818 or you can email me at dominic at askalsolutions.com. I mean, don't get me wrong, like this is a great music to have break on, but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music but your business being advertised on it? Need more content from The Startup Life, you say? You can now sign up for The Startup Life All Access Pass on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. There is exclusive content written by yours truly, video content where I share even more of my business philosophies, and whatever crazy content I can think of out of that crazy head of mine. And at only $5 a month, yeah, $5 a month, this is more content for you, Startup Nation, to really get ahead of your competition. So instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint, you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to sign up. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. So Kim, let me ask you this. I want to challenge you just a little bit. Just a little bit. So when we talk about that, you know, being good enough and saying something is good enough, can that be limiting at times? It can be. And when I talk about that 90%, there are times where you need to go 110%. But you've saved the energy. So you have the the energy to go 110%. You know, say if you have a business and it's just about ready to get launched, you've done the work behind it, you're rested and ready to go. And it's sort of like, putting on the gas. Okay. Now I got to go. Now I got to give it 110%. Right. And you've got the tools, you've got the live in the moment, play with joy. And the other one I have is gratitude. So if you're in the state of gratitude, you're sort of open to everything that comes your way. You know, like you're grateful that you're going to start this business and it's going to be successful. You're grateful that you're, you've got this, you know, media job where you're able to, you know, talk to everyone and talk to the people, talk to the newsmakers and, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's sort of that those, that three pronged is stay in the moment and play with joy or play with joy or be whatever you do, make it joyful. I always say play with joy because my Steph Curry (laughs) (laughs) comes back to me No, absolutely. Um, and gratitude, gratitude, really, we haven't really talked much about that, but gratitude can get you out of all kinds of things in terms of getting a hundred, you know, 110% uh, when you need to be, because you're just grateful that you've opened your storefront and people are coming in and buying your products. Gotcha. I, I was, I was actually going to ask about that a little bit later, but since we're already here, let's, let's talk about that because you do talk about gratitude in your book. And so how can entrepreneurs and startup nation, how can gratitude help the entrepreneurs and their business? Oh, gratitude is basically the, the, the gateway to everything that you want in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And it starts with, you know, just the daily gratitude journal that I talk about you. And it's not, Oh, I've got to write this whole diary. You right. just write down three things you're grateful for. And it gets you sort of out of that reptilian brain, which is like, go, go, go. <laughs> oh, this is going to fail. I'm not going to do, you know, and in gratitude. It's like, Oh, I'm thankful, you know, that my shipments came in today for my business. Or I'm thankful that, you know, um, I woke up and went to the gym, you know, I'm thankful that for my family, my dogs, I mean, some days are really, you know, you're really just dragging. You're like, I'm thankful for this cup of coffee, you know? (laughs) So, you know, so it's sort of, but it sort of gets you out of that misery, you know, or or overwhelm, gets you out of that overwhelm. And if people see you with joy and they see your 
staying in the moment, they see you have gratitude, they're going to be attracted to you. It's sort of that law of attraction, you know, mm, and you, okay. whatever you put out comes back to you. But uh, I've really noticed that in, in all areas of my life, if I'm grateful, things are, things are coming my way. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. That's powerful stuff. I hope you caught that startup nation for sure. So let me ask you this because, you know, you all, you talk in the book about failure as well. And when we talk about entrepreneurship, I swear, if it was a dish, like it's an entree of like trial and error with a large side of failure, right? Mm -hmm. So when Startup Nation reads your book good enough, you know, what would they learn about themselves, you think? I think though, by the, you know, I sort of have anecdotal evidence of my, of my stories. And one of them, I, I think that, I don't know if you, if you, remember that part but I have a son that has autism yes and um and it was just such a difficult thing at the beginning and getting that diagnosis and then someone telling you you know he may never drive a car he may never live independently it sort of throws you for a whole loop you know um and and climbing out of that step by step and now he lives independently and he he is an artist and he sells his paintings and he's doing great um but yeah, in the book, I talk. I have a lot of uh, anecdotal stories about how, you know, I had to get out of my own head and how I had to overcome, you know, having a child with special needs and what that means and and how people look at him and how he sees the world and 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 everything like that. But he's doing really well now. But there's a lot of times where I I felt like a failure as a parent, failure as a mom. And we tried all kinds of things. Some of them didn't work. Some of them worked, you know, and you have, it's especially with a child like that, who there is hope down the road. You try everything you can from, you know, oxygenated tanks to weird things you buy on the internet. But I mean, I, I wasn't going to give up on him, you know, and it's, it's almost the same if you, if you're starting a business or you're, you know, you have a child, you're, you try everything you can. So it's almost like, I'll try this. Oh, that didn't work. Okay. I'm going to go on. You know, I got information from that. I'm moving on to something else that may work. Um, so it's almost, it is trial and error, mm-hmm. but you can't get discouraged along the way. And, and by staying in the moment, you don't, you know, you, you sort of get that out of the way. You're like, this is my job. This is what I got to do. I'm going to, you know, move ahead and try as many things as I can and something will work. Gotcha. And it did. Yeah. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I'm actually glad you brought up Connor. I was going to ask about him later, but you know, since we're already here, uh, but because that's a story that resonates with me because my oldest son has autism as well. Oh, okay. I, I yeah. know about some of those difficulties. And so when you talk about, and you know, this is, you know, uh, you, you just brought joy to my heart because when you talk about how he's doing, how Connor is doing well, he's an artist and he sells his paintings that gives me proof of concept that my son Caden is going to be just fine. And, mm-hmm. and so, it, because that's one of those things like you talked about, one of he's going to be able to take care of himself. And that's one of the things I, that we're dealing with as parents now. But so I, I appreciate you sharing that, but I wanted to ask kind of a follow-up question if I would. Uh, what do you think Connor has taught you about seeking perfectionism? Oh, he, I think he's taught me everything that there okay. is to, you know, overcoming, 
perfectionism because, you know, he was, you know, eight and he couldn't tie his shoes. And then finally one day he tied his shoes, you know, way later than his, his sisters, my daughters, and um, we were overjoyed. So it's like, you know, you meet them where they are and how they're doing. And, you know, I'm thinking in my head, you know, this is so late that he's tying his shoes or he's so late that he's talking in full sentences. Um, But for him, these were all successes. So it got me to real to sort of uh, reassess what my value of success was. My su- value of success is not perfectionism. It's him living his best life to overcome all the obstacles that he's had to go through. And I'm sure you've had this too, where people just look at my son differently sometimes, like his language skills are behind. Yes. Or, you know, uh, he acts younger than he is. And, and for a while there... I always thought, oh gosh, what will people think? What will people think? And I talk about it in the book is these people are not in your arena. I hear that. Like, like Dominic, you're in my arena. Like I can, I could talk to you because you've been through it with me, you know, right. you've been through sure. it. But these other people, they don't know, you know, the people at church or the people out at the grocery store, they don't know. And they're just looking at you like, what's wrong with your son? You know? Mm. So you have to, that helped me dramatically not really worry what people think. It's like, and you know, it's the same with starting a business. You're going to have the naysayers. Oh, why are you doing that? You know, if these people are not in your arena, which is, you know, family, a few close friends and people that have been through a startup, right? you don't need their opinion, you know? For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Even on a, on a personal level, thank you for sharing that. I really- oh, thank you. That was hard. That was hard to do to put him in the book, but I felt it was important because it, it was it's part, part of, of the journey. story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, earlier, you know, we talked about Steph Curry. You actually mentioned his his current head coach, Steve Kerr. But I actually want to ask you about Steve Kerr's a very famous teammate from back in the day, which is Michael Jordan. Uh, uh, so Skip Bayless, we all know who Skip Bayless is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about Michael Jordan and he has like this complex. which is kind of like, he, I guess he's coined it the Jordan complex. And basically, it's one of those situations where Michael Jordan was so good at what he does that, you know, when he became a GM, he wasn't really good at it, right? Because I think he was saying that maybe I was so good at it, like, why aren't you getting this? And so when I think about that, and I think about your book, and you talk about your kids or whatever the case may be, I wonder if for those of us who, who who seek perfection and they have kids, do they kind of have this Jordan complex when it comes to their kids? Like they were so successful and they were so great at certain things, you know, you know and their kids, maybe not so much. Like, why aren't you getting this? So I, I guess, you know, do we, do we do that to our kids as well for those of us who seek perfection? Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I think that's what I, I did that not mm-hmm. knowing I was doing that. Right. Right. I saw that early on with my kids cause they, I, I wanted them to do something else other than swim. I mean, I put them in basketball. I put them in, in so I put them in everything. And I was like, do you like this? Do you like this? And I'm like, we really like swimming. And I was just like, oh, you know, I, I really didn't <laughs> want to go down this road. Gotcha. But they were, that's, they were really good at it too. And so I think that helped, you know, and then seeing the parents involved and, you know, my kids go in the Olympics. And I'm like, okay, you know, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than your kid going to the Olympics. Let me tell you, and especially in swimming, they take two, you know, there's, I call it the, the meat of broken dreams, which is the Olympic trials. There'll be, you know, a thousand swimmers and they pick 24 
you know, on the right. women's team and 24 on the men's team. Right. So everybody else is going out, going home thinking, well, I was 150th, you know, and that's great. You made it to the Olympic trials, but there's these expectations that they're going to make it. Every kid's going to make it to the Olympics, you know? Gotcha. And I think um, even my daughter who got third at the world championships as the Olympics rolled around, she's like, mom, um, there's like five girls ahead of me. And I just have, really feel like I want to concentrate on college and doing the best for my team and, and not really worry about the Olympics right now. And I'm like, go for it. And she did great in college and has no, she says she has no regrets. Um, for me, I'm like, Oh, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought, Oh, why couldn't she have made it to the Olympics? But that wasn't her, that's her story. That's her path. Right. You know, and your whatever your child is, it has to be their story and their path. Um, and I think we as parents put a lot of pressure on our kids. But it's the same thing. If you can go to the soccer game and stay in the moment and watch your child play with joy and be grateful that they're out there exercising, you, you've won the battle, you know, and, and not compare them to other children. I mean, that's hard, but um, I really tried not to to compare my kids to any other kids like look at so-and-so or you know where I saw that a lot in swimming well you're you know why why do they have a faster time than me well they may have developed sooner there's all these other reasons why you know sort of stay in your own lane that's For what sure. we say in swimming we say stay in your own lane right right and um but yeah but you know how many how many people go to the NBA not that many, how many, you know, everyone that plays basketball isn't going to the NBA. Everyone that plays Absolutely. football is not going to the NFL. Absolutely. And I think that uh, we set kids up a lot of times for failure when you think the only road is professional sports where it's, it's nearly impossible to uh, get there. You know, it's like un unbelievably difficult. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank but you. I do think with Steph Curry, he's a regular guy. He's six foot two. Right. He says he's six foot three, but he's not. He's six foot two. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and he overcame all these things, but he was the son of an NBA player and, and that whole thing. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with striving to to be the best you can be, but you you want it to be a happy, joyful process. Like my other my younger daughter swam as well. So I'm at UCLA, just barely made NCAAs, but she feels like she had a great career and she got to go to one of the elite universities in the world, you know? Absolutely. And I look at her and she almost had a more joyful time than my older daughter, who was, you know, a lot of pressure on, on someone coming in. That's the, the fastest, you know, on your team and the fastest going into NCAAs and all the points involved and all that stuff. So um, I just think you have to put your kid in as many things as they can and see what they gravitate to, not what you want them to do. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. So let me put this in perspective real quick. So you have one daughter who placed third in the world championships, another daughter who swam had a great career and went to UCLA and you have a Connor, your son, who you know who is autistic, but uh, he he sells arts and stuff like that. Like that speaks to somebody being one hell of a mom. I just wanted to point that out. Like, <laughs> you're pretty dope, Kim. Well, thank you, I thank you. <laughs> I don't know if my kids would say that, but no, I just they, uh, I just tried to find what they love to do and what they what their path was because I know their their path was different than mine, and um, it's funny because. 
they would say, you know, something about their grades and, you know, do you want to look at my report card? And I go, you know, it's your grade, it's your grades, it's your report card. It's not mine. So Hmm. it's up to you. You know, I tried to put it back in their, their hands. It's up to you, you know? And I think they, they learn that my parents are going to be there, but they're not going to, they're not going to save me. They're going to, you know, they're going to let me fail, which I, I did. I would let, you know, I said, I'll bring up your instrument if you forget it once, but I'm not bringing it up again. And so they realized that they were responsible for things and, you know, they probably weren't so happy with me, but I guess they're okay with me now. <laughs> gotcha. Got you, for sure. It's like we said earlier, the older they get, the more they'll, they'll share that appreciation for sure. For sure. Yes. Yes. Kim, I want to shift gears for a hot second because, you know, uh, you know, you've been in the you know, broadcast journalism game for 30 years now. And so I, I want to get your take on something. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about you winning the National Murrow Award, which is named for Edward R. Murrow. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I want to ask you if if Edward R. Murrow was around and we, me and my wife, we first learned of Edward R. Murrow from the, the movie. Good night. Good luck. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're fans of Edward R. Murrow for sure just to provide that context. But, you know, if Edward R. Murrow was here today, what do you think you think about the state of journalism today? Oh my gosh, he would be. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I was just going to ask, do you think he would be is under attack, you know, or, or is the current scrutiny needed to keep journalism objective? So I guess I just want to get your take on that real quick. Oh my gosh. I think he would be so unbelievably upset with what's going on now. And I hear that. And um, the partisan politics, the partisan news, you know, there's so many outlets now you don't, you know, we as journalists, you know, we don't know who to believe, what to believe, you know, which is good. It's keeping us on our toes of making sure we get sources. And there was a story the other day that came out on Twitter. Oh, the BuzzFeed story. There There was a BuzzFeed story about President Trump, but it wasn't anywhere else. Gotcha. And all these media outlets went with it. And then they realized BuzzFeed, you know, may be wrong. Oh, because it was something related to Robert Mueller and Robert Mueller came out and said, no, 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 this isn't the case. This is inaccurate. Gotcha. So, you know, it, it's made us better as journalists. So I think Edward R. Murrow would be happy about that because mm-hmm. we've had to really, really scrutinize everything. Right. But you also, as a consumer of news, it's hard, you know, you, hard knowing which websites are, are legitimate. That's you know, very somebody true. has, you know, the, uh, an ax to grind. And now there's a lot of, you know, uh, advocacy journalism out there, which there wasn't back in the day. Right. So I think he would, you know, he would be like, what the heck is going on here in the world of news? Um, and I, I guess I can say as a journalist that you really have to scrutinize everything that you read and, and, um, and, you know, you go to those trusted websites, you go to the New York Times, you go to, to, you know, old established journalism, not this new BuzzFeed or, you know, Huffington Post, even though, you know, a lot of that stuff is fairly accurate. But it's very difficult, I think, as a consumer of news these days to figure out what's true and what's not true. For sure. And, and I'm glad you pointed that out. And the reason I wanted to ask that is because, like, you know, b- journalism is not my industry, but I revere it. And I've always have, even as a kid, believe it or not. I was, yeah, I was one of those news junkie kids. But it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it, it, it's concerning because, like, just like you said, like, you know, you're not really sure who's credible, who's not, or whatever the case may be. You know, and then like, everybody has like an agenda. But also, it's like, what concerns me is the, 
the the wanting to be first and not wanting to be left behind. And so not all the 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 checks and balances or I's are dotted and mm-hmm. T's are crossed because you're just so focused on being first as opposed to being right. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, that's why I wanted to ask you for, thank you for indulging me a little bit, uh, if you would, for sure. Uh, so, Kim, you know, I want to ask you this. All entrepreneurs, I believe, have a superpower. What's yours and why? Superpower? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, <clears throat> I think to... I think it's to understand um, what's going on in someone else's life, sort of, I don't know if it's empathy or, uh, you know, I guess seeing, being in someone else's shoes. Okay. You know, I, I can, and I don't know if that's developed over time or the experiences that I've had, but I really, and I feel that gives me understanding in covering stories and interviewing people um, to really feel what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. Because I certainly don't feel like I'm, you know, I have all this energy and I'm this type A person at all. I'm sort of a laid back, like, let's see how this unfolds here. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, uh, but I do feel like if, that I, if you're able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, um, you, you can widen your perspective. And I think that even may help in business if you can put yourself in the customer's shoes or you can sure. put yourself in other entrepreneurs shoes, you really have a wider range of knowledge to, to choose from. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And, and startup nation, when we, we talk about, you know, being in the customer's shoes, think back to last week's episode, when we talked to Brian Ray about digging deeper in customer discovery, that's, that's connected to what Kim is saying here. So last question, but before I ask, I just want to say once again, thank you for coming on the show. You dropped some amazing value on Startup Nation, and we are super grateful for it. Remember, Startup Nation, if you want to purchase the book, Good Enough, How to Overcome Fear of Failure and Perfectionism to Live Your Best Life, you can go to Kim's website, KimFosterCarlson.com, to purchase that book, and the the link to uh, that website is in the show notes for easy access. So, oh, and Dominic, it's also on Amazon.com. Okay, and also on Amazon.com, and that link is also in the show notes, Startup Nation, for easy access for you, for you Amazon Prime people out there in Startup Nation, for sure, for sure. Thank you, thank you for uh, reminding me of that, Kim. Uh, So, Kim, you know, uh, there's, you know, there's a person out there in Startup Nation that like they're they're afraid to start their company, they're afraid to start their business, they probably feel like they're not good enough to do that. So I want you to talk to Startup Nation and tell them why they should start that company, why they should ride with that idea, why they should just go for it. I think it's something, if it's something you have thought about over and over again, and it's not going away, and it's something that's inside you that you feel like you have to get out, you have to do it. That's how I felt about the book. I have no idea how this happened. Even my friends are like, you wrote a book? And I was like, I know. I can't (laughs) believe it. You know, you started a business? I can't believe it. Uh, but you, you know, it has to sort of be in your heart as well. So if you're sort of like, I don't know, I'm thinking about this, then, you know, then, then you're going to have more obstacles down the road. But if you sort of have that vision, you know, vision statement, I'm going to help people by offering them this, that, or the other. Um, and you start sort of in the moment, I'm grateful. I feel joyful when I do this. 
uh, and you start layering and layering and then things start coming your way. You know, all of a sudden a manufacturer opens up or all of a sudden somebody else says they'd like to partner with you because they see your enthusiasm and how excited you are about this project. So I think you almost have to work on yourself first before you work on your business. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so that's going to wrap up this session of the Start of Life. Did you enjoy coming on the show, Kim? Oh my gosh, I loved it. Like awesome. I loved it. You have great questions. You know, and as a journalist for 30 years, I ask a lot of questions. You, you had some great ones. Oh, don't. You're, you're, you're boosting my head up there, but I appreciate <laughs> that for sure. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. Kim Foster Carlson has it absolutely right. Look, in this day and age of instantaneous this and gotta have it that way, that, it really does set a bar that's really high. Sometimes that's unrealistic. So a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we always feel like in order to start something, I have to have this in place. I have to have that in place. And what Kim brings with us on this episode in her book, they're like, look, if you have the skill set and you have that burning desire to do that thing that you want to do, you should go out and do it. You're good enough. And I totally agree with Kim on that. Startup Nation, you're good enough. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as can be now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Bench Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.